Well, good morning. My name is Jordan. If I haven't met you yet, uh, it's my privilege to open up God's Word with you today. We'll be doing that from John chapter 6. So go ahead and turn there with me as the kiddos are leaving. And speaking of the kiddos, I want to encourage you to uh, just keep the kids' ministry in the right place in your mind, in the value system of our church. It is so easy to think of like, okay, cool, they're, they're, they're getting out of here so that they're, it's not so chaotic in here, or okay, cool, somebody is taking care of them back there, but man, that is a such, like we're, talk, like we're called to make disciples. We are called to, to raise up people who know and love God with all their hearts, and man, I, I bet if, if, if I were to just have you all raise your hands that a majority of the room, you would say your story of following Jesus started in kids' ministry in some way. And so I want to encourage you to not be dismissive or take that for granted, but rather, at the bare minimum, be prayerful for those kids, the community that they are building, and the foundation of gospel teaching that is happening back there, and for the staff, for, for Rachel and the volunteer teams that, that are, are loving on those kiddos. And then more than just praying, I, I would encourage you to get involved. If you are not yet serving back there, maybe you're new to the church, maybe you're thinking, man, okay, you know. Uh, summer's winding down. I need to, I need to get back into my uh, fall routine. What, what are my plans? I need to plug in and serve here. We would love to have you ask some questions and, and um, see if Journey Kids would, would be a great uh, space for you uh, because we do need some more folks back there, but also just want you to have the right perspective as those kiddos leave, man. Let our hearts be prayerful and joyful that they're there and that people have said yes to serving back there. And so, uh, man, I'm grateful for, for Rachel and for each and every one of you and for those that are back there. If you've got kids back there, say, say thank you to the volunteers whenever, they're, uh, whenever you go get your kids this morning. So uh, if you have questions, you can, you can fill out a uh, you know, response form on our app. You can stop by the Welcome Center. If, if you don't know Rachel, she's usually hanging out by the, um, by the kids' uh, check-in before and after service. So just say hi and ask questions and sign up to help if that is you. All right, let's turn to John 6. We are going to pick up in verse 35. Some of you are feeling a little bit like incomplete because you think we forgot communion. Anybody? Were you just like, wait, what? We're not done. Yeah, that's okay. We didn't forget. Instead, the whole sermon is going to be the communion intro. Um, and so we will do that following the sermon. Today, Jesus is going to continue talking to us about uh, this incredible, the, the follow-up discourse from this incredible miracle where he fed 5,000 men which uh, most scholars would say that's likely 15 to 20,000 people total with a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And, and that has caused all, as you can imagine, like you just need to let that rightly set in your brain as what happened. It causes all the things that you would think it would cause. It's an incredible stir and incredible people, or crowds and mobs of people following him, coming to him. And so uh, as a result of that, the rest of chapter 6 is really an incredible discourse of Jesus teaching and unpacking why he did that, connecting his role in the present to all that God has done in the past and inviting them to a future with God that is secure. Like, secure in a way that it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on me. That's what Jesus is teaching in this incredible miracle. So, let's look at John chapter 6. We're going to read a bunch. And so we're going to have to move fairly quickly today and just kind of walk through this. But there's, there's deep, we're in deep waters this morning, so just know that. But we're going to read a good, long portion of this text 
It has been set up by the entire Gospel of John so far, and we'll be expounding on things that Jesus has been talking to uh, Nicodemus about, the new birth and the woman at the well, and all of these people that are now following him to see the next miracle. Uh, Jesus addresses them in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have, have eternal Life And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that come down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we, we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, don't grumble amongst yourself. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So the Jews disputed among them, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day for my Flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, man, I am grateful that God gives us his word, and, and I'm grateful that he gives us uh, the specific revelation so that we know who he is and what we are to do to be with him, to be in right standing with him. The reason that we do communion each week is because it is this physical reminder that centers us on the hope of Jesus. Because, and, and, and often we don't feel how necessary that centering is. But if we, if you'll just observe your life, there is a natural drift and default over to your own self-sufficiency, your own glory, your own ability to do what you need to do. 
That's just kind of a default. All of this discourse, Jesus is, is responding to the previous passage. So we have to chunk this up so that we can, you know, uh, have a one main idea each week and so we can work through it. But, but this is all one big discourse. And this is a response to Jesus being asked, hey, what do we got to do? What are the works of God that we've got to do to have eternal life? What, what do we do? And Jesus says, there, there are no works that you do except believing. Now, this is familiar to you, and yet really, like, catastrophically life-changing when you let it sit, when you let it actually say what he's saying. Jesus is, is, is saying, remember, John told us, Jesus has come into the world to reveal who God is to the world. Jesus reiterates again here today, I've come that you may know what is the will of the Father, I'm not here to do my own will. I'm here to do the will of the Father. And so, we, again, to a people who are angsty to, to know what is the list. How can I get there? How do I fill in the blank? How do I earn and achieve righteousness? Some of you, you've come to church today. Maybe that wasn't super explicit for you, but that's what you're feeling inside. You know your life's a mess, or you know your life is not as good as it should be. And so you've come here because you need to do the right thing. You need to, to, to feel a little bit better about who you are and, and what your life has done. And, and you just need to kind of get that, that life insurance deal. Let me make sure I go to church some. Let me make sure I get that, that God box checked so that I don't get caught, you know, in a bad spot when I'm standing before God on eternity. Let, let me just, let me, go to, let me go to church. Let me find out, okay, what do I got to do? And, and Jesus is, is coming to a people that are full of that same kind of instinct, and he's saying, hey, I'm trying to show you something better. The will of God is not that you would just do better and try harder. The will of God to a people that are struggling and sinful and, and killing one another and, and attacking one another and, and, and trying to get glory from one another and that are just desperately wicked. The will of God for this world that is full of nonsense and, and chaos and despair on the news. I, did y'all forget that? Like, just pull up your news app and it's just full of chaos and, and despair and, and bad, tragic news. The will of, of God for that world is not that y'all would just get your act together. The will of God is that we would believe on Jesus. And that sounds too simple, doesn't it? It sounds too easy. It sounds like it's not quite enough. It sounds like there needs to be a yeah, but. And Jesus is going, no, no, you, you, don't, you don't get it. He's using these physical items, these physical things uh, from our life to, to speak to us in a way that will teach us spiritual realities. And that's why we anchor our service each week in communion so that we are able to anchor ourselves, use this physical reminder of the bread and the cup to, to anchor us, center us back on, hey, it, it cannot be something we earn. It is only something that Jesus has given. And so Jesus says to them, Verse 34, they, they hear his explanation, which is a confrontation. He's called them out, but then he explains who he is. And then they say in verse 34, all right, well, then give us this bread. 
And I said last week, this is, this is a lot like the woman at the well after he explains who he is and explains, hey, hey, lady, you're going to come, you're going to have to come back tomorrow and get more water and the next day to get more water because you're just going to stay thirsty. But if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink because the water that I give will quench your thirst forever. And she's like, I don't get it, man. You don't even have a cup, but cool, give me this water, right? So this is not unlike that same response. They're going, oh, okay, like give us this bread then. Because the bread you gave us yesterday was awesome. That's why we're here. Jesus already told them, you're not here because you see signs. You're, you're here because you, you ate your full of the bread, so you're back for more. He's, he's telling you, you missed the point. Remember last week, like the, the point of a sign is not the sign. It's pointing us to something else. So they've missed the point, but Jesus is saying, okay, there, there's something beyond that. And they're saying, okay, well, give us that then. And Jesus says, I am that. It's me. I am, verse 35, the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus provides a bread that leads to eternal life. But Jesus doesn't just provide this bread. He is that bread. Verse 33, a couple verses before we started today. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is the bread of life in a sense that he nourishes people's spiritual longings and, the, and the, the, the deep longings of their soul. That's what Jesus is getting at. He's using a very familiar and common, like we all know what it's like to get hungry, right? Like I, sh I showed up a little bit late to pick up my kids at my mom's yesterday, and uh, it was right about noon, and, and I, I should have been there earlier because she didn't know to feed it. Anyway, and they were playing, and it was hot, and it was crazy, and then, like, the wheels just come off. Y'all, your kids, this happened for y'all? It's like, oh, my gosh, they've all lost their mind. I'm losing my mind. Uh, I'm going to harm them. Like, it was not good. Um, and, and one of my little guys was just kind of shutting down, and I finally grabbed him and took him over away from everybody and just... And just kind of held him for a minute. And when he stopped, I'm like, this guy's hungry. He's hungry. He just needs a, he needs a snack. He's hungry. It's the Snickles, those, those old Snickers commercials are legit, right? Somebody's just freaking out. I, I used to work at Aldi, and I worked long shifts, and I didn't take the time to eat sometimes. And I had a couple of shift managers. They'd be like, hey, Jordan, you need a Snickers? You're a little crabby, bro. And, and it's legit. You know what that's like. You, you, your soul, like your body starts to tell you, you need some food. You need some sustenance, right? Our soul does the same thing. It's, it has a longing. It has a craving for sustenance, for something that, that, that satisfies beyond just the, the, the surface level need. Jesus is saying, I, I am that substance. I'm that sustenance. You need something beyond what the world is offering. You need something more than that. You need more. I, I was on a mission trip to Mexico whenever I was 18. And when I was 18, I was, I was like growing a ton. I was still kind of growing. And I was, I was like, man, I would eat like a lot. I would go to Subway and get a foot and a half. Foot long plus six inches and eat it all in one sitting. Like that was me when I was that age. And so I go on this mission trip and we're working out in the Mexican heat all day. And all they would take for us for lunch was peanut butter and jelly. And, and it was great, like it was a big team, so we had massive amounts of peanut butter and jelly, but they would let you, like, okay, you could start out with two, and then if the whole team is eaten and there's some left, you can get some more. So there's me and this six-foot-ten uh, Jamaican bas like college basketball player that was also there named Jawara, and, uh, and he would be like, Jordan, man, my, my, my belly. <laughs> That's African. I'm not good with accents. But anyway, <laughs> he would say, I'm hungry, man. Like, my belly's this big, and I've only got this much food, and, like, the peanut butter and jelly just wasn't cutting it. Like, and every day, we're like, 
we're like, we're getting home. We're like, man, we're going to. And so on the second or third day, we look out and down the street, there's this little um, like street vendor's cart, like he's cooking food. And we're like, I'm going to go see what that is. And, and it was like the Shekinah glory. Like it was like, oh, like it was amazing. And I was like, I want that. He was making sandwiches. I was like, I didn't know Mexicans ate sandwiches, but give me that. And he's like, it's a torta. And I was like, okay, cool. I want that. And it was the best thing I've ever eaten. I was like, this is amazing. Like, uh, this is my new favorite food. And so every day for the next four days while we were still there, we would look forward to getting back from the field. And, bef- and we'd go eat this before dinner. It would be like 4 o'clock. We're supposed to be washing up. Dinner's going to be like 5.30. We're like, no, we're going to go get a torta. And so that just, it had something more than just the PB&J. It had meat, right? It had some flavor. It like... I don't know what a PB&J just made me shaky. It was too much sugar. I don't know, but it's like I need some sustenance, and it had it. And so that became the thing that I looked forward to, that I, that I, I built my day around, that I, I longed to get. This is what Jesus is saying. Channel that to me. This world, it's got PB&J for you. You're going to think you got something in you that'll, that'll, that'll satisfy. You're going to think that that need has been met. But deep down, you're still longing for more. You're longing for something with more sustenance. Jesus is saying, that is me. Let these hungers lift your gaze further up. I am the one who can quench your thirst and and satisfy your hunger. But verse 36, he says, but I say to you that you've seen me and yet you do not believe. So he's, he's saying to these people, this is what I'm offering, but you're seeing me and you're not getting it. You're not getting it. Some have got it. They're my disciples. They realize they're all in. They've left their nets. They've left their life. They're all in with me. And you, you've seen the miracles. You've, seen the, you've heard the stories. And yet you're not getting it. Verse 37, he goes on to say, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now he's about to, this is where we get real deep. Because Jesus is going to start talking about the how behind salvation. How, how do people, or like what, make, what separates the people that, that have seen but don't get him versus the people who have believed and their lives have been changed? What separates, well, last week we talked about the difference between the crowd and the disciples. And Jesus is going to dive into that in just a bit. And it's going to be a bit of a, uh, uh, it's going to feel a little bit like a roller coaster, but it's actually really good news. And here's what he says to set this up. Everybody that the Father gives will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So right there, he's going to set up this thing that he'll talk about even more later, that salvation only happens when God does something in your life. It is not a matter of you know, him throwing out a, a life raft and whoever decides to grab it, they're good. No, it only happens when God does something in your life. This is what Jesus is setting up. And, and he's saying, God has people that he's going to give to me. He says in other portions, I, I got sheep. And when I speak, they know my voice and they come to me. And, and so he's setting up this thing saying, man, only God is going to give someone the, the desire to actually come to Jesus. Romans 3, Romans 6 says, there's no one who seeks God. There's no one who's good. There's no one who's seeking God. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our trespasses and sin. So what what does God have to do to save a dead people who aren't seeking him? He has to cause them to come to life. He has to do this work, and it's, and it's mind-blowing, and it's a little, and, and then you start to get into this, well, does God choose, and, and it's predestination, you get all, this is real scary doctrinal waters, isn't it? Because you're like, well, what if I'm not chosen? What if my kids aren't chosen? What if somebody wants to come to him, but they're not part of the elect? Will he not let them in? That seems like a mean God. 
You get into, and I'm like, it's real. But Jesus, right here, listen to what he says. And whoever comes to me, I'm not going to cast out. So you, you don't have space biblically to take a doctrine about election and predestination. It's a hard doctrine. But you don't have space to, to shut it down or pull away from it because you, you think that that would preclude somebody who really wants to be saved from being saved because they're not a part of the elect. It's not how the Bible works. It says, anybody that's coming to me, they're not going to get cast out. If you have a desire to be saved, you have a desire to be with Jesus, he, he's not going to say, no, sorry, capacity's full. You're not on the list. It's not how it works. What he's saying is the very desire to come to Jesus is evidence that he's at work in your life. It's evidence that he is pursuing you and, and, and is saving you. And he's going to go on to say, listen, People who God gives to me, they're going to come to me. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So this is the other thing. Once you're in Jesus, you ain't leaving Jesus. Why? Because it ain't you that holds you to Jesus. It's Jesus that holds you to him. Okay, again, this is unnerving. But it's really, like, if you li- listen to what Jesus, it's really good news. It doesn't depend on you initially. It, it's his goodness that, that draws you to himself. He said earlier uh, in a previous passage, I'll say it again later, no one's coming to God unless they're being drawn by him. And then he's going to go say, like, those who belong to God, I'm not going to lose them. Again, he's speaking back to this, this question of, hey, what do we got to do? How, what work we got to be doing to, to, to stay in the glory of God? Jesus saying, no, not about what you do. It's about what I have done. And not only is he not going to lose you, but there's a hope of a resurrection on the last day. You're going to see that theme, and he'll raise him up on the last day. He'll raise him up on the last day. This is the hope of the gospel. This is where we get hope that transcends the, the present time and and you know, horizontal pursuit of glory from other people or whatever, we know, those of us that have trusted in Jesus, that, that our reward comes at the end, that we will be resurrected, that the present troubles and trials will not be able to compare to what awaits for us when we're raised at the last day. So listen to that theme and let it stir hope in you, that even in the midst of this world, being beat down, struggling, whatever your story is right now, in Jesus there's hope of a resurrection that transcends this mess. For this is the will of my Father, verse 40, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's that line again. This is what God wants. This is what he actually longs for, is that everybody would see the glory of Jesus and be saved by seeing the glory of Jesus. But it takes God taking the scales off for them to see and believe in such a way. But this is what he wants, is that people who see Jesus and they see a Messiah, they see a benevolent God who has sent his Son to bring salvation, that they would believe and have eternal life and he will raise them up. Well, this isn't a popular teaching. Shocker. Verse 41, the, group, the Jews start grumbling. Right? All of that good news. Incredible news. 
about what God is, is doing, the offer that is there. It doesn't depend on you. God is the one who saves, and, and he's going to hold you. He's the one that saves you. He's the one that will keep you. And what do they hear? He, he's saying he came from heaven. That's what they hear. And they go, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, the Jews grumble because he said, I, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, son of Joseph? And we know his mom and dad. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's saying he came from heaven? We, like, don't y'all know Mary and, like, Mary and Joseph? He didn't come from heaven. We saw, like, and they start picking it apart there. Again, Jesus did say he came from heaven. He, he's, again, drawing back to their story from the Exodus. They get into the, the desert, away from Egypt, into slave, like, out of slavery, into, you know, this freedom, but they have no food. They're in this place of desperation. God brings bread from heaven for them to feed on. To, to sustain their life, to give them life. Jesus is saying, I am that bread from heaven. God has sent me for you to feed on, to sustain you, to give you life. And they go, whoa, whoa, you can't be from heaven. We, we, we know where you came from. <clears throat> Verse 43, Jesus answered them, don't grumble amongst yourself. Don't you wish you were as bold as Jesus? People having these side conversations. And Jesus just calls him out. I love it. He's just like, hey, I know what y'all are saying. Like, come on. Really? I just, five loaves, two fishes, fed 15,000. You don't think I can hear you? You don't think I know what y'all are talking about? Your little sidebar is not as quiet. Like, Jesus calls him out. Hey, hey guys, you don't need to grumble amongst yourself. Verse 43, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up. On the last day. It's written in the prophets that they will, be, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. What is Jesus saying? He's going, hey guys, I know you don't get it. And you don't get it because God hasn't shown you. Because the only way for you to get it is for God to show you. This is not a, a, a merely like physical, intellectual exercise of receiving information and, and acknowledging some information, and now you're safe. It is a spiritual, this is the conversation he had with Nicodemus. He's like, hey man, you got to be born again. I know you know a lot of stuff. I know you've been a good person. you got to be born again. Nicodemus is confused, just like they were. He's like, I don't think my mom's going to be cool with me trying to be born again, man. Like, physically seems challenging. And Jesus goes, you're missing the point. You're talking about a physical world. I'm talking about a spiritual world. And it transcends what we know physically. There's this reality that happens when we are saved, when we begin. Like, you, some, of this, some of you, this is your story. You heard the gospel for years growing up. You were in a church, and you heard it, and you heard it, and you heard it, but you never heard it. Some of y'all? You never heard it. It wasn't until a moment when the scales came off, when you realized you have a need, personally, not just collectively, but personally, you have a need for a Savior because you are a sinner. And in that moment, that's when you realized, oh, I need a Savior. And oh, Jesus is my, he's, he's my Savior. And then you confessed with your mouth. Then you believed in your heart. And then you were saved. Paul's going to tell them in Corinthians, listen, to some people, we're the stench of death. To others, we're the, stench, we're the smell of life. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to those who are perishing. Meaning, if people don't get it, they don't get what we're preaching, it's because God hasn't revealed it to them yet. So don't get mad at them, yell louder, or, or you know, think you've got to draw it out more clearly. 
Stay in conversation. This doesn't mean write them off, to be sure. Because there's a lot of stories of, of people that you know personally, and there's some in the Bible, that they didn't get it the first time they heard it. This guy named Paul would be one of those. You realize that? Paul heard the gospel at least once before he was saved. At least once. I believe likely more. But at least before he said, yeah, kill that joker named Stephen. It wasn't a joker. He was a disciple of Jesus. But Paul was named Saul at the time and thought that he was ridding the world of these invasive people named little Christians, people following Jesus. So he doesn't hear it the first time. He hears it, but he doesn't hear it. He doesn't believe. It's not till later when God knocks him off of his horse, blinds him, and changes his life forever. So, so we don't write people off because they don't get it, but we need to pray that God would reveal it to them because it, it's not just a, 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 an exchange of words that causes them to be saved. They can hear, you've seen this, you've seen uh, uh, the gospel be proclaimed to a world, a room full of people, and it impact people differently all around. Some people get saved and they're weeping. Other people are hard-hearted and they think that's the most foolish thing ever. Paul says, listen, if that's them, it's because they're perishing. They're on their way to hell, and God has not yet saved them. So what he's saying here is, guys, you don't, you don't really need to grumble. You don't get it because God hasn't shown you. It's not a matter of running the equation again. Jesus is going, yeah, I said what I said. I'm from heaven. I am the bread of life. It's not going to get any more physically or materialistically uh, believable. Christianity is not normal. It's miraculous. You understand, our Savior does these miracles as signs. A miracle is the suspension of physical laws and and. and you know, what we know about physics, it's suspended, and he does his own thing. This is who our Jesus is. He's going, you're not going to be able to just put A, B, and C together and realize, oh, this is what God is doing. No, it is a miracle. Yeah, I said what I said. I'm from heaven. I am the bread of life. Believe in me, and you'll never hunger again. Jesus is saying, that's it. And if that strikes in you in a way that makes you say, I want that bread. Give me that bread. I will leave everything else so that I get that bread. Then you have been saved. God has, has drawn you and he has brought you to a saving knowledge and, and you can rejoice and come and know that that saving knowledge will never be taken from you. You may backslide, you may wonder, you may have your moments, but you will be saved at the last day. He will save your soul, resurrect your, your body. This is what Jesus is saying. So it's, it's not about running it again, so maybe it'll make more sense. He's saying, you don't get it because God hasn't shown you. And, and he said, listen, he's, the prophets, he's going to point back to their, their books, like what God has been showing them for years. He said, it told you in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. That the people of God, the people who come to him, they will get that knowledge from God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That means God doesn't try and fail to save somebody. He doesn't give it his, his best shot. Well, I, I tried to get old so-and-so, and he just wouldn't come. No, if he sets his call upon someone, it is effective. It will cause them. They will come. They, he will get those who belong to him. Truly, truly, verse 47. I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. That's the gospel. 
No yeah buts. No what next, what then. Whoever believes, they have eternal life. Whoever believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life, he says, verse 48. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and guess what? They died. You're longing for more of that. This is a people who have come and said, okay, what's next? What are you going to do next? Give me some more of that bread. And Jesus is going, no, no, I can give you all that bread all day. You know, the, the stories that you're latching onto from Exodus, they ate that bread and they died. You need something beyond that. You need something to transcend that. And he's saying, that's me. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of this world or for the life of the world is what? My flesh. All right, so now we're going to get into this doctrine of, of Jesus giving himself, of, of this atonement, of propitiation. We're going to get into that in just a moment, but I want you to hear verse 50, 51. He says, this, this is the will of God. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus. He sent his only son so that we wouldn't perish, but anyone who would believe in him would have an everlasting life. I am the bread that comes down from heaven, he says, so that one may eat of it and not die. He's going to start intermixing these physical you know, illustrations with these spiritual realities again. He's saying, you need to feast on me for what your soul is craving, and then you won't die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. Not just for a moment. You eat some bread, it sustains you for a moment. Depending on your activity, depending on what's good, like, it sustains you. Jesus is saying, I'm here to give you bread that will sustain you into and throughout eternity. Eternity. And this is not just about getting it when you get to heaven. Eternity doesn't start then. Eternity enters you the moment you trust in Jesus. Your eternal life begins at the moment of salvation. And, there, and Jesus is now inside of you, satisfying. Like, it is your consistent place that you can go to. When you've been eating the, the peanut butter and jellies of the world and you know that your, your soul just needs a, a, a spiritual torta, right? Jesus is saying, no, no, you, you have a substance that transcends the junk and the, and the, and the mediocre sustenance that this world tries to offer you, you have something beyond that. Come and feast on me, and you'll never die. It'll never be taken from you. It'll always be sufficient. You could feast as much as you want, eat as much as you want, and guess what? You'll look at the basket, and there's still, it's still full. Pour out yourself in pursuit of Jesus. Give him all you got, and guess what? There's a basket, and it's still full. You'll never outwork or outgive this God. You'll never give yourself so much that he will somehow not be able to pay it back, not be able to sustain you, not be able to show up for you. His disciples, they're, 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 they're leaving their life, they're following him, and they look back and they go, hey, hey, Jesus, like, I mean, I'm all in and stuff, but like, what about like a 401k? What are we going to do? And Jesus is like, I promise you it'll be worth it. I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, no one's left stuff in pursuit of me that regrets that stuff. It'll be paid back a hundredfold. 
I promise you, he says, it's worth it. This is what Jesus is calling us to, something countercultural, something transcendent, and it's called the gospel. It is the good news. And, and Jesus is going to now go, okay, and how, do I, how am I going to do that? The bread that I will give, the end of verse 51, he says, this is what that bread is. Because they're, they're going, okay, I'm still not sure what is it that I'm supposed to eat. And Jesus goes, here's what I'm going to give you, my self. I'm going to give you my flesh. My very body is going to be the thing that sustains you, that satisfies you in the deepest parts of you. Again, they're freaked out, verse 52. Then the Jews disputed among them, saying, um, how's this guy going to give us his flesh to eat? It's a weird kind of cannibalism, because he's going to say, I'm going to die and you eat me. Like, that's, it's, like, I'm making a joke because I want you to feel, like, we're used to this language about the Lord's Supper. This is my body broken for you. This is my, my blood. But for them, like, they're staggered here. Jesus uses this language to stagger them. He wants them on their spiritual heels. He wants them leaning in deeply and asking hard questions. So he gives them a hard saying. Jesus says in reply, verse 53, here's the deal, guys. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It's only death. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, so here's, he's going to keep talking about his flesh as his true blood. My blood is a true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. Like, it, this, is, this is where it starts to get, like, pretty hard, and this is where you get some misunderstandings and even entire religions and, and denominations that have, have misunderstood the, the good gift of the Eucharist or the, the, the Lord's Supper, communion. Because they start to say, well, if, if it doesn't actually become Jesus' flesh and you don't eat it, then you're not saved. And they, they believe you're, you're saved by your partaking of the sacraments. Do the same thing with baptism, and they, they start to shift, the, they start to contradict the very passage that they find this in when they start to say, well, it, it depends on this that you get your salvation, because Jesus said, no, no, it doesn't. What's it depend on? Your belief. So why do we have communion then? Why is Jesus saying you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood? Because he is saying that, that to eat his flesh is the spiritual meaning of trusting or believing in him, especially in his death for the sins of mankind. It means that we all have a longing for salvation. We all have a longing for something that will make sense of this life that is beyond this life. We all have a longing for that. And he's saying, unless you take that longing to Jesus, unless you place your hope for that longing in Jesus and trust in, in his death, then you can't be saved. Why do we have to trust in his death? Because we deserve death. We have earned death. The pay stub has come in. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. What do we earn? Death. So realizing that, that we're all headed toward death. Hebrews says it's appointed for man. We're going to die. Ultimate statistic. 
No matter what kind of AI nonsense or transferring your brain into some, I don't know. I don't know what Elon Musk is up to. It freaks me out, but it freaks you all out too. Nobody laughed at that. <laughs> we don't know, Jordan. Yeah, we don't talk about that here. Um, his, it doesn't matter. Like, we have a hope. We will be raised on the last day. Whether Terminators come and kill us all or what, it ain't, ain't transcending Jesus' plan, right? We will be raised. He's got us. He's got us. Period. Like, that's the hope of the God. So he's, he's saying, everybody is headed toward that moment of death. And in that moment, it will be absolutely sobered, absolutely nothing else will matter. You'll realize, oh, I'm a, a mere mortal who has offended a righteous God. And I have to give an account. And if you come with your stories about how good of a person you've been and how much you attended church and how much you gave and how kind you were and how many kids you adopted or whatever, whatever self-justification you come, if you come with that, Jesus is saying you have no life in you. Just death. Sorry. Yeah, but I'm better. No, just death. Yeah, but no. No life in you. Unless your hope and your trust, your feast, unless your food, your sustenance, the thing that gives you life, the thing that you've placed your very being and existence on, unless that bread, unless that is trusting and believing in Jesus, that he died the death that you should have died, unless that's your hope, you have no life in you. Whoever... 54, whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, I'll raise him up on the last day. Again, there's that, that it's just on refrain. Uh, for my flesh is true blood and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Okay, in the same manner as eating Jesus' flesh is the spiritual meaning of trusting in him and believing in him, especially his death for the sins of the world. To drink his blood means to trust in his atoning death, represented by the shedding of his blood. See, not only are we all on our way to die because of our sin, that's why we're all appointed to die, because we've sinned and we can't live eternally because of our sin. So we have to have somebody that's speak for us on that day of judgment, but we don't get off of the hook without a payment being paid. And the Bible says there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. See, these people would have been very familiar with the shedding of blood. They would have been very familiar with sacrifice and atonement because when they come to the temple, when they come for the Passover, they're used to bringing an actual animal and somebody slaughtering that animal and the blood being present and, and, and the, the high priest sprinkling it on the altar. There's a whole series of rituals of forgiveness and atonement that come through the killing of an animal. Why? Because God can't forgive sin with no cost. He wants us to feel deeply the cost. The cost is blood. The Bible's really clear that the life of man exists in blood. You can't live without it. It's spilling out. You realize that, me, that equals someone is dying. You've got to stop the bleeding. Blood matters. Why? Because blood equals life. Jesus is saying, I 
I'm the only one who can pay for the sins of the world. I am the only one who did and, and whoever will go to the cross and there die the death that, that you and I and, the, and the, the world should be dying. That's our death. And there Jesus' blood pours out, pours out. And there he becomes the Lamb of God who is sacrificed. The perfect, righteous Lamb is sacrificed for sinful, unrighteous people. And in that is where we trust for our atonement. What makes us right? What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? It's okay. You can say it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other hope I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you take your thirst, your hunger anywhere else, death remains in you. But the moment you realize, I am the life giver, I am the one who, who made the world, who sustains the world, and he gave his life for the world, when you realize that, that's whenever you are saved. Verse 57, as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. He says, I'm here because the Father wanted me here. This is, the, this is good news. God has good news for the world. He has sent Jesus. And whoever feeds on me, they, you can live because of me. Not because of you, not because of what you've done, but because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. This is good news, church. This is the hope of the gospel. So when we come and we partake of this beautiful meal that is communion, each week we want to, the reason we walk through this, we remind ourselves because Jesus transformed the Passover meal. He says, that's all been about me. You've gathered every year. You've slaughtered a lamb. You've ate it. You've done this ritual to remember how I've saved you, and it's to look ahead to how I'm going to save you. Okay, that's, he transforms it the night with his disciples. And now he says, I want you to eat this when you gather, and I want you to remember that I have saved you. Not you, but I have saved you. And the only place you find hope and righteousness is by partaking of my sacrifice. So he takes this bread and he breaks it. He says, this is my body. It's broken for you. Take and eat. And then he says, hey, there's got to be blood, right? He says, this will be where our hope lies from now on. Where your hope lies, he tells his disciples. Where our hope lies, he reminds us, in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. This is the good news of the gospel. And it is memorialized and dramatized in communion. And this is why we come each week. So, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to come. We're going to sing couple songs. We're going to sing the first one as we come. But I want, you to, I want you to rejoice in the good news of the gospel. It's not dependent upon you, but it's rather a generous and able and a victorious Savior that holds you in his hand. And then you come and you take.
you rejoice that God so loved the world that he gave us, not just there as an example, but as a propitiatory, propitiatory, like sacrificial, taking your sin, what you deserve, like he takes it away. Takes it away. Rejoice in that as you come. If you're here, you're not a Christian. You could change that today. You could put your faith and trust in Jesus. You can have your life transformed. You can pass from death to life. You can be a person who, who gets, if that's you, and you're like, I, I think I get it now. I don't have to earn it. I, I'm not just about religion or being, a, I, I think I get it now. Then come, man, we'd love to pray with you. We would love to help you, like, take your first communion as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. That would be beautiful. We'd love to do that with you today. So the altar's open. The table um, is here. You come when you're ready. Let's pray and stand. God, I am grateful for this hope of the gospel. And I pray that you would overwhelm us with this good news. Transcend the hard things in our life and remind us that at the ultimate point of fear and question and need, you have met us with a all-sufficient grace. So thank you, Jesus, for that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.